Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 6. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We are getting closer. Uh, we're a couple months away now from Project Voice 2023, the world of conversational AI. Um, we have a number of major announcements coming down the pike. The most recent one is related to the Conversational AI Leadership Council, which will form for the first time uh, at the conference um, to sign the new Ethics and Integrity Charter around LLM-based AI. Um, a lot more news will be coming out about that when we announce some of the celebrities who will be part of that, uh, but critically, 400 companies will be part of that as well. Um, and that'll be an important part of the show. Much more to come about that, and we'll include a link to the show, uh, the, the conference in the show notes, um, so you can see that. We've got a great panel uh, for discussing some really interesting stories today, uh, and I'm excited to introduce them. Liani, let's start with you. Um, tell us who you are. Tell us about Rattle. Um, yeah. Hi, um, I'm Liani Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Rattle, and we are building an AI meeting facilitator that supports more engaging and inclusive meetings in the workplace. Awesome. And uh, in full transparency, I am uh, an advisor uh, to your company, and I'm, I'm honored to be one. Uh, it's been fun watching what you're putting together, and I think there's a lot around the future of work to come. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks. We're honored to have you as an advisor. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Next up, Matthew Miller of G2. Matthew, say hello. Hi, how's it going? My name is Matthew Miller, and I'm a senior market research analyst at G2. My focus areas are AI automation and analytics. At G2, we've got over 2 million reviews in total, over 1,700 categories, and we just got so much data around conversational AI and beyond, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Y'all do good work. Um, it's it's a lot of fun to see what you're doing. Thank you for taking the time and joining us. Next up, we've got Christoph Borner. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Um, Christoph, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Tell us about you. Tell us about Ciara. Thank you very much for having me. First of all, hi Bradley. Hi to everyone um, on the call. Um, you are close. It's Burner. Um, it's like in America, Burning Wood. You know, this is how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, as being said, my name is Christoph Berner. I'm Senior Director Digital at Ciara, located in um, the heart of Europe, in Vienna, Austria. Um, I'm leading the Ciara branch here, and yeah, Ciara itself, if you haven't heard about us, um, we are a CX assurance platform for IVR, for agent-based phone systems, um, and of course, conversational AI. Um, I have an engineering background. I'm the former founder um, and CEO of a company called Botium um, that got married, and I'm always saying got married sounds better than acquired by Ciara last year, but it it really feels like a perfect marriage. Um, what else should you know in my private life? I'm playing drums in a rock band. So actually I'm, I'm a rock star, but unfortunately I'm locked in this body of an engineer. That's me, back to you, Bradley. <laughs> You've said those things before. Um, that, that's a... I'm People should know, yeah, because with our music, we don't reach anyone. Maybe through technology, I can get some listeners on our concerts. Interesting. Well, we, I, like I said before the show began, I appreciate the Star Wars uh, uh, things, uh, baubles behind you. It's a pleasure to have, have you on the show. Christoph Berner, um, appreciate you joining us. And then finally, Hans Van Dam of Conversation Design Institute. And if I might have mispronounced that, but Hans, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. 
Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I think you were really close. Hans van Damme is the is the original one. Yeah, and people in the US always ask if I'm related to Jean Claude. And I, when I was an exchange student, I just rolled with it. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, and every, so everybody in Oregon thinks I'm related to Jean Claude van Damme. But uh, yeah, so I'm one of the founders and CEO here at Conversation Design Institute. What we do is is we teach people the skill set that they need to work in conversational AI. So every enterprise is building teams around conversational AI technology. We help you figure out who's going to be working in that team, what's the skill set that they need. And then we have educational programs and certification programs for those people. And we're based in Amsterdam. Excellent. Yeah. No, y'all are y'all are making some noise. All four of y'all are making some noise. And it's a pleasure to have you all on the show. Uh, and thank you for taking the time. With that, we're going to get right into the news. Uh, so we've got the most time to, to sit here and discuss it. Um, this first story is from Ars Technica. Chat GPT style search represents a 10x cost increase for Google and Microsoft. So uh, we've been having a lot of Chat GPT stories on this show. Uh, I've remarked, it reminds me a lot of you know, when Alexa was really hitting uh, stride um, with Echo devices getting into everybody's house. And every time you turned around, there was some news story about something or other uh, about Alexa. Uh, ChatGPT, my, my research for the show is I'll sit there and I'll Google different terms uh, for news articles, as well as look at what VoiceBot has produced. And uh, it actually takes me a substantial amount more time to prepare for this show now than it has over the last few seasons because when I search for chat GPT it's boom 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 all there's the stories from the last 24 to 72 hours um, and they're all different and so yeah you know you got to look through them all it's crazy uh anyway this is a personal problem I'm going into Liani I'm going to start with you uh and go through the same order that I used to introduce the show um I want to hear your thoughts on ChatGPT and these LLM-based models generally, and then specifically what stood out from this particular piece? Yeah, so a couple of things kind of stood out. I, I think that our, first of all, in general, like our consumer mindset and the way we're behaving is, is completely shifting and completely different with these models. Um, in terms of just the cost in this piece, I think a couple of things are gonna happen. And so I think we're gonna, drive down costs. And it's the same way what really stood out to me was the way that, you know, Google did this with YouTube. And I think that in true big tech fashion, we're going to, they're going to look for market share and then find ways to find efficiency costs. There's going to be lots of startups, lots of ways that once they have market share, um, they'll be able to drive those costs down. And then at the same time, I think what's going to happen is I was talking about, you know, that consumer shift is that we're looking to ChatGPT as the source versus Google as an intermediary. And so as we do that, we're going to be spending more time. We are, we're engaging with them. And anytime there's more time and more attention, there's ways to monetize that. And so I don't think it'll be completely ad revenue driven, but I think that they're going to find more ways and maybe even new models to start monetizing that time. So it will start to address this 10x cost that they're seeing. Complete agreement. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's uh, a great way to look at that. Matthew, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to ask the same question. Your thoughts on ChatGPT generally, and then specifically as it relates to this story and this this uh, uh, increasing increasing cost for Google and uh, Microsoft. Yeah. So I want to echo something that Liani said that 
we need to perhaps rethink some of the ways that Google and the competition is thinking about revenue. And so certainly historically ads have been a big part of it. So different interface, different model might be a, a time to rethink some of the ways that they're bringing in that money. So ads, I'm sure will still be part of it, but are there different ways to do ads? As people are having more sustained conversations, are there gonna be more ads, better ads? There was a conversation that Sam Altman had, um, I think also Satya Nadella, they're speaking, but maybe since it's, it's better quality results, potentially again, up for debate, perhaps the ads will be higher quality and then maybe they can bring in more money through that. Questionable, but a, a potential solution, a potential thing that could happen with this type of chat interface. And then the other thing to think about is, the article focused a lot on, on Google search. And so Google search, of course, got over 90% of, of the market. But if we look also at, at Chrome, so Chrome, they've got um, a little over 60% of the market. So I think there could be things here that could happen with Chrome, bringing some of this within Chrome. We've seen similar things with Microsoft bringing in some of this technology within their Edge browser. So I think there's a lot of things going on. I'd say the thing to think about with ChatGPT and some of these other LLMs is that the level of accuracy with information, we've seen this across all the different platforms, is something to be desired. We're not quite getting fully accurate results. And so that's a big problem with hallucination and getting the right information. So I think some of those other types of uses, at least for me, and I think I'm seeing across other people, are perhaps at least at this point more helpful. So some of those summarization type tasks, turning one type of information or type of content to another, those for me are, are what's working now. And those information information retrieval types, I think, in some ways, have a way to go. <clears throat> yeah, and as I've noted previously on the show as well, I'm never calling it hallucinations. I'm going to call it errors. Okay, so <laughs> that's uh, the, the 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 PR people got involved and came, brilliantly came up with hallucinations. But no, no sorry, that's not how that works. Uh, yeah, but your your points are well taken. Uh, Christoph, uh, we've heard two uh, insightful uh, takes on this this piece and just ChatGPT in general. I want to get yours as well. Your thoughts on ChatGPT, your thoughts on the piece. And you're on mute. So now you should hear me again. Well, um, yeah, I'm an engineer. So first of all, when, when you talk to something like ChatGPT, it's cool. Um, regarding the article, yeah, they're talking about costs. Um, what I'm missing a bit is why is it driving so many or such high costs? Um, and the answer is rather simple. All these generative LLMs are extremely resource intensive. Uh, and there I'm seeing it more um, through the eyes of, of quality engineers of SEX assurance platform as we are. Um, and resource intensive means it will be struggling in some real-time applications, so where you want to have immediate feedback. And we are all used to doing a Google search and getting immediate results. And so I could imagine that here um, speed can become a problem. And um, apart from that, I'm a bit missing um, the main issue for me um, of these LLMs, apart from the fact that they are cool. Um, the problem is uh, it's a matter of time when you're talking to them that they will come up um, with some stuff. Yeah, this I mean, we saw it with, with Bart in the introduction done by Google, um, that it more or less came up with some stuff and it was super convincing, yeah. Um, in a way where people take it serious and take it as gospel, more or less. So um, I think it's our job um who are testing these things and automating this kind 
of new technologies um, to really fact check them yeah, and, and, and prove that they are telling us the truth, because otherwise people will just take um, everything serious that they are telling us. Yeah, no, well said. And Hans, I'm going to you. Um, want to ask you the exact same question. Your thoughts on ChatGPT generally. Your thoughts specifically on this piece. Yeah, no, I think I think it's 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 this is changing everything. And I think if you somebody compared it on the podcast acquired to when the App Store launched, but it's like the App Store launched, everybody knew it was significant, but nobody knew what the heck it was. And we started making like to do lists, and that was like the first apps. And we're kind of in that same thing. And nobody would, you know, nobody thought that we would get like an Uber or an Airbnb, these app companies that would change the world. And I think these LLMs are very similar that we're now in a phase where we're kind of like creating to-do lists, doing the simple things, we're all getting some information. All of that is, is you know, it's, it's table stakes still, and it's still very basic. And uh, I was listening to an interview with Brett Winton of ARK Invest. He said like that, what they expect is sort of the development of like the first iPhone until the latest version, kind of that big of a leap will happen within like two to three years in generative AI. Um, so I think we have no idea really what we're dealing with yet. I, that's exciting and that's really fun. And with that, you know, I think costs will come down, you know, and it will get better. Costs will come down. You will have more meaningful deployments like right now in conversational ai like we see it mainly as a productivity tool for people creating chatbots and voice applications rather than using it to talk to customers you know if you're a public company right now you probably don't want the system to interact with your customers and just winging it uh so be careful with that but so we sort of see it as a productivity tool right now and and yeah i think it's going to be going to go so much faster than what people are expecting and nobody knows what it is. And some kid in a basement right now that's like 12 years old will build a company that's like LLM first, and we have no idea what it is. We're going to see some crazy stuff. Uh, that, I think, is pretty obvious. Um, and uh, no, the, the, the comments on this were great. I, I want to zero in on something here in the, um, in the piece uh, before we move on uh, off of this piece. Um, I'm going to read this out loud. This is from the Ars Technica article. It's still not clear how much money anyone is going to make. Well, actually, that's, that's that looks like a typo. It's still not clear. I'm going to just sort of paraphrase this. It's still not clear how, how anyone's going to make money from chatbots that are supposed to give an answer directly. Google's and Amazon's voice assistants have both failed to generate a profit after years of this, quote, we'll figure it out later, end quote, line of monetization thinking. And those are both just more limited chatbots. I am I I don't quite know how to feel about the 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 media reinterpretation of the Alexa Google Assistant era um, in the wake of ChatGPT. And before we get off of this, I want to ask all four of you. And Liani, I'm going to start with you and go through the same order for this. Then we'll switch it up for the next piece is and i'm looking for a brief answer from all four of you as brief as you can provide is chat gpt's ascension and success an indictment on amazon alexa and google assistant and apple siri and samsung bixby and all the other ones or is it something that was facilitated by and caused by 
the major voice assistants? Which, which is it? And I'll start with, uh, yeah, Liani, I'll start with you. I would say caused by. I mean, I think I'm going to stick with this theme of like consumer consumer behaviors. And there was such a clear demand. There was such a clear need. So I would say caused by. That's that's obviously the direction I lean into. But it's it's interesting. There's a battle for the narrative going on in these gazillion articles I'm seeing. Matthew, I'm going to you. Same question. Uh, is it uh, is the original the the pre preceding era of voice assistance an asset or a liability uh, in relationship to ChatGPT and LLMs? I'd say it's it's in tandem with. I'd say it's an asset overall. I'd agree with Leonie, and I think that if you look across all sorts of areas, industry domains, people are interested to get information quickly, and oftentimes, if it's done right, a chat interface can help with that, and so it's certainly an asset in my mind. Yeah, complete agreement. Christoph, same question for you. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, agree with, with Liani and Matthew, of course, also. I think it was caused um, by these techn technologies. Um, I remember, I don't know, three or four years ago when people were asking me, where do I think will these things go to? Will, will companies in five, ten years also start building from scratch and NLP engine stuff? And I don't know, every bank on the world uh, adding their their 300 top interns and things. And um, years ago, I was always tending to say, I'm thinking about some kind of pre-built models stuff that goes into this direction because um, I saw... I mean, not three years ago, but in the meanwhile, we have an open source community of roughly 500,000 users. And I see that all banks are adding more or less the same training data and all telecoms and all customer support companies. And it's such a huge waste of efforts you know, because the, the differences are minor and, and um, a lot of technology is coming up that, that uh, so I don't see that uh, at the moment, ChatGPT could take over the entire conversational AI experience of a company. I see at the moment the hybrid approach um, where I, as a bank, route some stuff, some intents to chat GPT, uh, um, something like small talk, things like that. Or um, if I'm a healthcare provider, yeah, you can do small talk there. But if, if our client asks me about the right medication of something, I would not route such a critical um, case to something like chat GPT that does more or less an internet search or could be badly trained on these kind of things. Yeah. Okay. So that, no, that's, that's, uh, I share a lot of your sentiment as well. And Hans, same question to you. Um, yeah. your thoughts. No, I think it's, it's definitely an, an asset and I think it's, but I don't think it comes from it. It's, it's like a separate track. And I think that kind of to what I said earlier, you know, LLMs are, are still very much a technology, I think like going from research to technology to a product to successfully deployed product in an enterprise, those are lots of big steps. And I think this technology is just so powerful now because it is chat. It feels so familiar to people. But I think, you know, Alexa and, and Google Assistant, they're products. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's in a way apples and pears. But yeah, they, they definitely help each other. And yeah, I mean... You, you could use an LLM now in all of those smart speakers and, and handle a lot of that stuff. So they kind of co they'll, they'll continue to coexist. Yeah. It feels a little bit like, you know, when you're reading the beginning of a classic work of fiction where you're establishing the scene in one particular part of the storyline, right? In the first couple of chapters, 
and you're meeting everybody. That's what the last five years have been. You, we, we met Alexa, we met Google Assistant, we met Siri. Now we reach like chapter six and it just totally shifts over to some other place to establish a whole bunch of other characters that and presumably by the time the, the book concludes, you know, everyone will be uh, meeting each other and there will be convergence. Uh, but, you know, we've shifted over to now we're meeting ChatGPT and Google Bard and all this stuff and leaving the question of, okay, well, where does this go from here? Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, the thing I don't like about this piece, I don't like the rush to judgment on, and, and this piece is far from the only one that has done this, the rush to judgment on the profitability of Alexa. Um, it's not about defending Amazon. I really couldn't care less about that. It, but it's you got to you got to have some inside information that I don't you know that that I certainly don't have to conclude so rapidly that it was not profitable. I think you could argue whichever decided that you wanted to uh, with the brand awareness and you know the the retail sales that that might have sprung forth from all these devices, not necessarily using the device per se all the time, but just to have that ubiquity. Uh, across all these households, uh, you know, I, like I said, the narrative, we got so many people now focused on this area of technology. People are taking the pen and rewriting the narrative in all which ways. And it's interesting to see some of that's definitely in this piece. Great comments all the way around. We're going to move on um, to story number two, which surprise uh, has something to do with ChatGPT also. This is from Pocket Lint. I think we've used this group of people before. Uh, it's been a while. Amazon's Kindle store has been flooded with books written by ChatGPT. Um, this, uh, uh, well, uh, I, I want to get y'all's opinion. Christoph, I'm going to start with you and go through uh, Hans and then Liani and then Matthew. Um, <laughs> this is this is interesting. Uh, I, your your thought your thoughts. What stood out? Well, first of all, I think this number of, I think they're talking about 200 uh, uh, books where the uh, ChatGPT is mentioned as co-author. I think this number is way too low. Um, a lot of people will, will just not add um, it there. So what's the first thought that comes to, my, to your mind or to my mind? Well, uh, when books are flooding the market um, built by ChatGTP, most probably a lot of authors will be out of work, uh, which is a bad thing, of course. Um, second thing that came immediately to my mind was um, plagiarism is most probably um, a huge issue here, because if you know how ChatGPT or other LLMs are working, um, they learn from scaling millions of web pages and the text there. Yeah? So the, the possibility of coming back with something here that is plagiarism is, is from my point of view, pretty high. And then the third thing um, that came to my mind when I was reading this article was um, something that happened to me lately, you know, because um, ChatGPT cannot only write books, um, it can also write song lyrics. You know? And as a musician, um, when you are spending with your band hours of hours every week of your free time to come up with some meaningful lyrics, um, and on the other side, you see a song that was completely written by ChatGPT, um, it feels weird. Yeah? Um, the question is now, when I hear this song, uh, and I don't know it was written by ChatGPT. I would have said it's a nice song, huh? cool lyrics, meaningful, uh, partially pretty deep. So I was impressed. But then knowing that it was done by ChatGPT, 
it feels a bit like yeah skynet is coming back and and it, it, it feels wrong yeah as when you are in this situation i'm in complete agreement on a lot of things you said but definitely 200 books stop playing you know there we got a lot more in there uh people wisely haven't disclosed it hans i'm going to you your thoughts on this story yeah, I was going to write a book and then everybody started flooding the market with these books. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll stop doing that altogether. Yeah, I think the number is going to be much higher. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, you can press a button and get a book, but I think a good author can still use this to be more productive. But yeah, there's just so much noise now in the market. I think that that's the tricky part. And, and kind of going back to the, like... Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the copying of, of other people's work. And you know, I think the there's like the essay, The Death of the Author or something like from, you know, years ago. It's like that no author ha you know, is actually writing an original book. We all copy each other. Most of your thoughts aren't original. So, you know, most of the stuff I'm saying now, I picked up on a YouTube video that was suggested to me by AI at one point anyways. So I think it's, it becomes very interesting philosophically if it, it forces us to ask those questions, like what's an original thought in general? Um, but yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you, can AI make good books? I don't know. Like, does the whole book need to be good? Or if I, re if I read a sentence of it and it inspires me to do something next, it might already be good enough. So the whole relationship to content is kind of changing because of this. But uh, it was also somebody said the other day, it's like, you know, if you're JK Rowling and, and you know, you can ask ChatGPT, write me a Harry Potter type story and, and make me a character in it. It's very easy for it to do it. So if you're already a very established author, your brand is going to grow increasingly because of AI, making it increasingly more difficult for new authors to build a name for themselves and actually, you know, occupy something of that space. So, so yeah, all those things are just interesting questions, but yeah. The number of 200 makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable adding a few zeros to that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense as a total lie. Uh, but uh, yeah, anything else, uh, it doesn't. Could total agreement. Liani, I'm coming to you. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, same thing, 200. I was even surprised 200 people listed uh, ChatGPT or AI as the author. So that number is way higher. Um, I actually have, though, a little bit difference of opinion on what this is going to do for artists. I think that this is ultimately going to like up level what our new norm is of just, because if we start to read things that all sound and look the same, that's going to be our new norm. And then artists and creatives are going to be able to stand out more when they're writing naturally. And so I think it'll help them be more creative, our minds, and we'll start to, we'll start to learn more and be able to observe more. And I think this is going to happen in schools too. Like we see this with kids writing papers. And so, and um, I think they're going to start to see, like people will start to observe the commonalities that are coming and start to see when something's truly original. And so it'll just up level us and like what that wisdom and push the creativity and push, I mean, we're building in a space of collaboration. So we're always thinking about this, of how we can reach new ways to create and collaborate and and think create and think creatively and so i think it could help it has the ability to help artists and writers um but it really they have to work with it there's really no working against it but using it to help them even think more out of the box 
Total agreement. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, Matthew, I'm coming to you. Um, want to get your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, so a lot of thoughts here. I'll try to keep it brief. So one of the things, and this is to echo a point that Liani made, seeing this type of technology in schools, we're, we're already seeing it. Some teachers are pushing hard against it, but other ones from middle school, middle school to high school teachers, even law school professors are trying to figure out how to bring this type of technology into the educational framework. So that, that's one frame. I think thinking about this as a tool, which is an add-on as opposed to just, so I, I agree with Christoph that there is a problem of, of potentially taking jobs that, that shouldn't be thought of lightly, but I think at least another angle is that additive type of, of technology. So that's one point. I think the other point is, and there's a quote of Picasso people like to speak about, good artists copy, great artists steal. So there is some degree of thinking about how, and this is a more general philosophical question, when we have all sorts of work out there, how do we bring that next work into create in, into how do we bring it into production? So we've got all these these literary pieces out there. So humans, of course, will be using this. Then this technology also is using this type of literary work to create new pieces. So I think that's a general, more broad thing to think about. And this is just bringing it more to the fore. And I think the other thing is that we've had bad books out there for a long time. People have been writing bad books. Bad books exist and they'll continue to exist. So I think a lot of this material probably is not so good. And I don't think we'll be rising up in the charts or winning any awards anytime soon. So I think that's another thing to think about. And I guess the other point is that a, a broader framing that I'm hearing about a lot is, is that we've got all these types of generative AI technologies. So here we're talking a lot about text, but then of course, one of the big ones is image, all sorts of different image generators. And there's a lot of stories, a lot of discussion about the legal implications. A lot of artists are getting very upset. We're hearing less about the art, the authors getting upset. I'm sure I'm not saying it's not happening, but certainly less. And so I think potentially this story, this type of story, and certainly if these books become more popular, I think it could be become a bigger discussion, bigger question about what exactly the creation of, of books and other written material with ChatGPT, what that means for the the future of writers. So I think those are some of the broad questions and framings that I'm thinking about. But I think it's also one of those cases of let's wait and see what happens as it continues to progress. Yeah, no, look, y'all touched on a lot of great stuff. I mean, I, I um, uh, it's important to, to I, first of all, I agree that there's a lot of bad books, movies, everything. It's like, uh, stop me you know, if, if I'm wrong, but, you know, I'm a big science fiction fan. I used to love going to, to the movies and yes, you know, obviously the, the, the pandemic aside and what that did to the movie industry, y'all are releasing some trash, you know? And so it's like, why, if there's any possibility for these type of tools to, uh, up level, as was said, you know, the, the, the creative process, look, why, why not? And, um, I think it's, it, it sounds like an overblown threat that everything would kind of come out sounding, looking, smelling the same. I don't, I don't think that that's, there's any way that that's going to happen, but if it did, guess what? <clears throat> the last, uh, decade or so of Hollywood, you know, we've had tons of rehashed, sequels that have been absolutely horrible um we've seen the the homogenization of uh like cgi i, I can't tell you how disappointed i was with the uh, indiana jones trailer 
and it, it's just so uh, you know i'm sure the film probably has a good story but it's like the visuals they all look the same so if you're worried about stuff all being the same we've been there you know, uh, the, hopefully this will get us out of that. And I'm talking about movies, of course, but, you know, those spring forth from books. And I think books are probably the same, at least on the fiction side, um, suffering from a lot of the same issues uh, that other creative areas are. So I kind of view it a little bit differently. I view it as, um, you know, uh, a good thing for creative industries that this technology has arrived. But interesting to note, uh, Christoph, as you you alluded to earlier, it's um saying your book is written by chat gpt is not a selling point um and uh will cause me to not purchase it immediately um just out of reflex uh if not anything else any closing thoughts on this before we move on to the final story i think we kind of say which is interesting like uh if, if you if you're making trash you're just going to make much more of it and if you're if you care about making good stuff, it can help you create really cool stuff. But I think then the question becomes, if there's too many people making trash, are, the, are we still interested or do we just give up altogether almost, right? If millions of people are writing terrible books, do we really bother thinking like, ah, oh, this might actually be a good one because this person really cared? I think that that's then the interesting question. But I, I really follow your thinking there, but I, I like Well, it goes back to what was said about the internet when the web was just getting going, this is like late '90s. So I'm a I'm a prodigy CompuServe America Online kid. I had access to two of those three, um, and uh, was fortunate for that. But you know, I remember when the web kind of took over in its in its pure form, and people were talking all about the importance of curation, and uh, you know, you need trusted resources to navigate through all of this stuff this noise, this deafening noise um, to provide uh, insights into what might be worth your time and what might not be. I think we're quickly getting to a point, you know, where where those resources are are more valuable than they ever have been. Look, great points all the way around. We'll, we'll move on to story number three. This is from voicebot.ai. Soapbox Labs will bring voice AI to scholastic reading education programs. So yeah, the last conversation with ChatGPT, you know, we touched on education a little bit uh, in that conversation. Uh, education has been beaten up bad over the last few years. And uh, Matthew, I'm gonna start with you, then go to Hans, then go to Christoph, and then Liani, I'll close with you. Um, interesting story here, interesting implementation. Want to get your thoughts. Yeah, so I think I'm of two minds. I think that bringing technology to the educational space overall is a positive, and I'm all for it. The thing that's at the back of my mind that makes me nervous, this is a broader concern around edutech, is about the digital divide. So let's say when we're thinking about what was happening with COVID-19, a lot of people were going online, schools were not able to meet in person, and we saw this come to the fore with even something basic as internet access that, that could really divide people, divide places, divide demographics. It's a scary thing. So I think here, when we're thinking about bringing voice tech, voice recognition, other technological solutions to children, if they don't have the wherewithal, they don't have the capabilities, they don't have the technological resources, they could be left behind to some degree. So I think that's a concern, but I do see positive as well. I think with this type of technology, as well as other type of edutech technologies, it can bring a lot of 
personalization, a lot of help to the children when they need it. And so there I do see a positive. It's just trying to think about and to think how we can solve, if we can, any of those type of tech divide issues, because I do find it to be problematic and difficult. Yeah, no, there's been equity issues ever since really uh, Alexa showed up with the with the echo devices everywhere. And um, yeah, so that point's well taken. Hans, I'm coming to you. Same question. What stood out about this particular piece? Yeah, I've, I mean, I think it's a similar answer. Same question, similar answer in a way as well. But uh, now I think I think it's really cool that you know to have these AIs trained for children specifically and helping them with, with reading and giving the feedback. I think that that's amazing and it, it, it's it's really cool. I wish I had that when I when I was young. You definitely see the value of it, and I think any school that is rejecting this is yeah that, that it's kind of like fighting the calculator. It, it's just kind of silly. Um, but yeah, I hadn't thought to, when I read it, I didn't really think about the equity issues, but I think, yeah, that's probably a very fair point. So how, how do you deal with that? How do you make sure everybody has access to it? Because otherwise, yeah, I guess, yeah, who, who's doing that? Uh, has any, does anyone know how's that changed now with COVID when those things became clear? Like here in the Netherlands, I think it wasn't that big a thing. So I'm kind of curious <laughs> how did that play out or what are people doing about it now? I mean, some of the panel might have a different uh, take on this, but my my take on it is that that conversation's been muted to some degree by the fact that um, uh, kids have just left school. You know, like if you look at the United States, um, there are shocking uh, figures um, over the last you know year or two talking about how many kids just fall off the grid. I'm talking about not only are they not showing up in school and they're not enrolled anymore because you miss a certain amount of days, you're just, you know, not part of the school anymore, but nobody can reach them. Like they don't exist. So, um, and these are kids that prior to COVID were, were progressing through the system and, you know, uh, participants and students of that school system. So, you know, we, we've got bigger fish to fry to some degree, um, but the equity issue is going to come back because as we saw with Alexa, the story there was five years ago that um, uh, because of Amazon's audience being um, higher income on average, uh, higher education level on average, <clears throat> that on average, um, you know, uh, children uh, of an elevated socioeconomic status had access to the Echo and Echo devices and everything that came along with it. Um, whereas uh, poorer children didn't. And uh, there was repercussions for that and that divide was starting to become evident. But um, anyway, that's 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 how I would describe that. Uh, Christoph, I want to go to you and then go to Liani. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this piece and what stood out. Yeah, uh, to reflect on, on what happened here in, in, in the heart of Europe, in Austria during COVID, um, it's pretty weird. We have... We have kids or or graduates from university and so on um, that we call the COVID generation, more or less. Yeah? So this, these kids are struggling to find jobs and so on. Yeah? So it, it was a huge issue here, um, learning in general. Um, and therefore, I can just fully agree with, with what Hans said and also my few before. Yeah? So I've, I think it's on one side, astonishing yeah that this idea that you get helpful feedback 
Um, and I also grew up in, in an environment where my parents couldn't help me uh, because they were just working day and night to, to make a living. You know? um, and so I would have really appreciated to, to have such an option. Um, on the other side, technically, um, for me, it was outstanding that the superpower, this understanding of, of dialects, accents among all children and so on, um, is something that that we see every day within our clients. You know, this this is super important in testing because all these all these NLP engines out there, AI technologies are super good as long as you are on the happy path. You know? So the the, the the speech engines behind this all works perfectly if you are a native English speaker. You know? But they start to struggle when I, as an old native speaker, talk to them, you know? and it's getting worse when when we are testing it with 50 different English dialects. And, and um, this, so therefore I know that these cases are, are pretty tough. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think it's a great thing at the end of the day. Excellent. And Liani, I'm gonna give you the last word on this, your thoughts on this piece. Yeah, um, similar thoughts on what other folks have said, really like at the end of the day, I agree you know, with you, Matthew, that overall it's a net positive. I think that um, if we can get to this, this point of solving how accessibility issues and making sure it's in the hands and opportunity of all children, then we will start to, again, like see this norm kind of, kind of up level. Um, I think that from the very beginning, this is going to completely change this like positive association with technology and you being able to use tech to be able to learn and self-improve from the very beginning. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and then being able to like, versus now where, where we were really like, like started with, you know, using tech as like entertainment and, and other sources. And so if you're using that from the beginning, how that's going to change your frame of mind and how you interact with technology from, from the beginning. So I think that side, um, on the other side of that coin, so there is the accessibility issue, but then also there's about, there's that moment with parents. So I think some of the most memorable things with kids are when you're learning with your parents. And so while you can take that time and help speed up learning and help education, parents still have to be involved in those moments because that is what starts to build empathy and how kids interact with each other and how their relationships build. So what I hope doesn't happen is that those moments are just redefined in some other way um, rather than, you know, starting then those teaching moments when you're reading with your children, when you're, when you're spending that quality time with them, that that is just, that is repackaged um, in another way. And so I think the way that we look at time is going to start to really transform from almost everything we talked about today. Couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's interesting to think about if you have a child that grows up today um not knowing what alexa is not knowing what chat gpt is um it, versus you know a child that goes through you know ages zero to say 16 um with minimal exposure to just calling those two technologies out specifically and then another child who goes from zero to 16 with a lot of exposure to those technologies are those two kids going to be the same absolutely not so, you know, uh, that's uh, sort of interesting to to reflect on um, as we move forward. Yeah, look, great, great comments all the way around. To all of you, uh, Liani, Matthew, Hans, Christoph, thank you for being part of the show. Thank you for taking the time. 
to share your experience and your expertise with not just me, but the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. For This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 6, thank you for listening on your podcast provider of choice, watching if you're watching us on YouTube. Until next time. <laughs>